Last week we looked at the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel and the Jesus uh, parable of the sower. And you remember that story, how the sower sowed his seed and some fell on the good ground and some fell in places where it could not grow. Today we look again at Matthew 13 at a, a similar parable, but this is the the parable of the weeds, or the uh, sometimes called the parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, so if you are able to stand, please do so now and uh, consider the words of Jesus to his people. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then, do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." Then he left the crowds and went into his house. And his disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think there are, there are two persistent problems that we are facing in the church today. There are many more than two problems, of course. But I call these persistent problems because they are issues which Jesus himself addressed and that we, 2,000 years later, are still struggling to overcome. Two persistent problems. The first of them is one that I call narcissism. You know what that is. It's all about me. It's all about what I want and what I need and what makes me happy and comfortable and satisfied. But in the church, among the people of God... It's supposed to be all about God, not all about me. 
It's supposed to be about what God wants and what God needs. And how we can work cooperatively with God to accomplish what God desires in us and in our world. It is so hard for us to keep that outward focus and we struggle with it all the time. It is so hard for us to make ourselves available to God for God's purposes because we are constantly drawn to seek our own way and our own comfort. Even our prayers can become unvarnished efforts to bribe God into doing what we want God to do to meet our self-perceived needs. Narcissism, it's about me and what I want. That's, that's the first problem, narcissism, that we face and is a constant struggle for us as we seek to be disciples for Jesus Christ. The second problem is a problem that I call superstition. That's the one that Jesus focuses on in today's parable of the weeds. Superstitions are those things that we want to be true. Things that we assume to be true, but they aren't. Superstitions are those things that we want to be real. And we assume that they're real, but they're not real. And we keep on going back to them. And we keep on believing them. But they're not real. And they're not true. When, when I think of superstitions, the first thing that comes to my mind is the number 13. You know how, how folks are sometimes afraid of the number 13. And, and they'll do anything to avoid encountering 13 of anything. But that's superstition. It isn't real. That fear isn't based on anything. 13 is just a number. It's the number between 12 and 14. That's all. It doesn't have any power to threaten or undo us. I, I may have told you before about uh, the conference I was at in Pittsburgh one week, and I stayed in a high-rise hotel in the city. I'd gotten on the elevator to go up to my room, and there were two ladies riding with me, and as one of them pushed the button for their floor, she remarked to her friend, Oh, oh, look, this hotel doesn't have a 13th floor. And I, I looked at the control panel in the elevator, and, and sure enough, there were the numbers 11, 12, 14, 15. And then, well, I probably shouldn't have said it. <laughs> but I did. Look, this hotel doesn't have a 13th floor. And I said, sure it does. Of course there's a 13th floor. Just because they skipped the number doesn't mean there's not a 13th floor. They call it 14, but it's really the 13th floor. It really is. Just then the door opened and they got off on their floor. The 14th floor. I've always wondered if those ladies got any sleep at all that week. In our better moments, you and I know that there's nothing unlucky or evil about, the, there's nothing diabolical about the number 13. It's just a number. But we still think twice about it. And anything, we still hesitate about it. And anything that bears that number when we encounter it. And, and that's, that's a superstition. One of those things that we think just might be real, but it isn't. 
There are other things, other things that we think are true, but they aren't. Things that we, we may even want them to be real, but they're not real. I, I even hear some of them in church with, with some regularity. Here's, here's one. Here's one that I hear with some frequency. Everything happens for a reason. Did you ever hear that? Did you ever say that? Everything happens for a reason. That's a, that's a real popular superstition these days. Sometimes, and, and Jesus talks about this in the parable. We'll get to that in a minute. Sometimes there are accidents and tragedies. Sometimes there are unintended consequences that may not be anybody's fault or part of anybody's design, not even God's design. Everything happens for a reason. Isn't real superstition. And there's, there's a corollary superstition that goes along with it that I, I hear just as often. God is in control. Did you ever hear that one? God is in control. There's no question that we want that to be true. It's certainly comforting and reassuring to think so. But anyone who has read even the first page of the scripture has seen that it isn't so. Have you ever heard, you ever heard of sin? Know what sin is? Sin is the best evidence that God does not control our lives or the world in the ways that we would like for God to control our world and our lives. God, God does not always get God's way. Superstition. There are a couple of persistent superstitions that God addresses in this morning's parable. The first of them is something that we desperately want to be true. We count on it being real, but it's not. If we are good enough and wise enough, we will not have any serious problems. Did you ever think that? Did you ever hope that was real? If I'm good enough, if I'm wise enough, if I'm careful enough, then nothing bad will happen to me or those I love. Doesn't work that way. As much as we would like to think and hope that it does, it just doesn't work that way. Good people... Kind people, wise people get hurt and get sick and get disappointed and they die just like everybody else does. If we are good enough and wise enough, we'll not have any serious problems. I want to show you in just a minute what Jesus said about that and how that turns out to be a grand superstition. The second superstition that Jesus addresses in his parable is another one that we desperately want to be true. Love will conquer any problem that might arise. You familiar with that one? Love will conquer anything. All you need is love. They even write songs about that. All you need is love. The simple truth that we face every day is that we live in an imperfect world in which bad things happen to good people sometimes. Love does not conquer everything. Never has. Even though it is a pleasant thought and a comforting idea, it's just a superstition. Well, one of the most powerful stories that Jesus ever told was the parable of the wheat and the tares. Tares were, were weeds. And, and in the case of this story, in all likelihood, 
Those weeds were a particular kind of weed called bearded darnel. In the early stages of growth, that weed, bearded darnel, so closely resembled the wheat that, that when they started to germinate and started to grow, you couldn't tell the difference between the wheat and the weed. And by the time that the, the weed got large enough that you could tell it was a weed, by that time, the roots of the bearded darnel and the wheat would be entangled so it wasn't possible to pull out the weed without also uprooting the wheat. So, in fields where farmers had both wheat and bearded darnel, they would let them grow together until harvest time, and then they could separate them. But they had to let the weeds grow or they would have destroyed their crop as well. In the parable, a farmer sowed good seed in his field, but in the night, an enemy came and sowed weeds with the wheat. And when the crop became mature, it it was clear, it was obvious that the noxious weeds had been intermingled with the good wheat. The servants offered to pull up the weeds, but the wise farmer who knew, who knew about farming, he said, no, let them both grow together until harvest time, then we'll separate them out. That's a diabolical picture of an enemy sowing weeds in a wheat field. But that scenario was was familiar to people in Jesus' day because, believe it or not, people would actually do that. And the, the, the way we know that they did that is that in ancient Roman law from that time, there was, a, there was a law that made sowing weeds in a field a crime, and it specified the punishment. So, so even though that sounds strange to us today, it was something that people really dealt with back then. Well, after Jesus told the parable, the disciples were puzzled by what it could mean. So they asked Jesus to explain it. And he replied by saying that at the end of the age, the angels of God would separate the evil from the good. Because that's that's the only time it can be done. Any other time in the life of the world, the evil and the good grow so closely together that they can't be pulled apart without destroying the good along with the evil. We tend, to, we tend to make a good deal of this end-of-the-age talk, and so did folks in Jesus' time. They talked about the end of the age a good bit, probably more than we do. But the point that Jesus is making by saying this is that right now, in the days and years of our lives today, good and evil are all mixed up, all entangled together, and there just isn't much we can do about it Right now, they are so entangled that to, to try to sort out the evil from the good, you'll destroy the good too. There's just not much we can do about it right now. But at the end of the age, when all things are sorted out, that will be sorted out too. The lessons of this parable are clear, but they're not easy. The parable helps us, Jesus helps us to understand that there will always be weeds in the wheat field. One of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples was, in the world you will always have trouble, John 13. Life is difficult. Life is not always fair. Jesus said, the rain falls upon the just and the unjust. A little earlier in Matthew, he says that. Jesus never promised us that we could become so good and so wise that no misfortune or disappointment or tragedy or sadness would ever come upon us. 
Things happen in our world and in our lives that are beyond our power to prevent and beyond our power to fix. No matter how hard we work or how good we may be, something or someone comes along while we're sleeping and sows tares in our field. When you discover weeds in the wheat field, when you discover untoward things in your own life and your own experience, don't belittle yourselves or despair. Guilt and blame and shame only complicate the problem. We live in an imperfect world where evil is present and evil is an unavoidable part of life. Jesus is also attempting to teach us in this story, I think, that there is not much, if anything, that we can do about the weeds in the wheat. Jesus is talking about situations in life that are so tangled up that they can never be untangled in this world. There are knots which no mortal can untie. We tend to be a generation that believes that everything that goes wrong is amenable to a quick fix. We spend billions of dollars each year for medications to deaden our physical and emotional pain. Our encourage, our, our culture encourages this flight to the quick fix by assuring us that if, that it, we can have a pain-free life. But that's a superstition. There's no such thing as a pain-free life. Not in this world. Among those things that we want to be true but simply isn't. I was watching, uh, something on television the other day, and I saw one of those commercials about remodeling your bathroom. And, and you know, that, that looks very attractive. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, your bathroom needs to be remodeled. There's no question about it. But, but after they tell you in the commercial, they show you all the wonderful things that this company can do for you in remodeling your bathroom. Then it, then it shifts to a scene where a guy is, is putting a golf ball. And, and the, the announcer says, if, if you will allow us to remodel your bathroom for you, then, are you ready? Your life will be hassle-free. Really? Really? And, and you know, I don't know why that just caught me the way it did, but, um, you, you know, uh, the, the first thing I thought was, you know, well, most of the hassles that I confront in my life I don't confront in my bathroom. <laughs> so, so how is it that remodeling my bathroom is going to make my life hassle-free? Um, sounds good. I mean, it really sounds promising, but it isn't real. That's not the way life really works. That's one of those, one of those things that, that hooks our superstition. Jesus tells us in his story that there is evil afoot in the world. There are evil situations and there are even evil people that we cannot change. There's a, a, a book that uh, Dr. Scott Peck wrote many years ago called People of the Lie. And he tells the story in, in his book about, about his attempt to rescue a child from, from evil parents, from parents that were really doing harm to this little guy. And after he tells the story of what happened in this family, he makes kind of a, a general statement about, about evil. And, and, and he said, I've learned nothing in 20 years as a psychiatrist that would suggest 
that evil people can rapidly be influenced by other means than raw power. They do not respond, at least in the short run, to gentle kindness or spiritual persuasion. Well, to those, to those of us who were, were brought up to believe that, that love and gentle kindness and spiritual persuasion can solve any problem, that really, that really rattles me. There's evil in the world which is beyond our power to influence and beyond our power to fix. Evil is more persistent than we want to think that it is. Jesus' parable teaches us that it's not always easy to distinguish between the good and the bad. Sometimes we see a person and we think they're a bad they're a bad guy, but then they turn out to be good. And then there are times that we encounter those whom we think are fantastic and wonderful. They turn out to be not so good. This parable teaches us we're not to be too quick in our own judgments. This is not a way of coddling evil, but the only sure way to protect the good. Many years ago, the first the first. African-American baseball player in the American League, first African-American in the American League, was a rookie by the name of Larry Doby. He played for the Cleveland Indians in 1947. He was reputed to be a good player and an excellent hitter. He came to bat in his first game. This is a, a story that's portrayed in a movie called The Kid from Cleveland, made in 1949, before my time. But I read about it. <laughs> Larry Doby, he played for the Cleveland Indians, and his first game was in 1947. And um, um, when he came to his first game uh, and, and, and up to bat for the first time, it was a disaster. He swung at the first, he was so nervous. He swung at the first three pitches and he missed them all by at least a foot. Didn't even get close. He struck out. The fans booed the poor guy off the field. And Larry Doby, he, he stared at the ground as he walked back to the dugout. Longest walk of his life, he said. And he went to the end of the bench and he sat down and he put his head in his hands. Well, the next, the next batter, according to the movie, the next batter was second baseman Joe Gordon. Joe Gordon was an all-star hitter who always hit the particular pitcher who was throwing to him. He always hit that pitcher well. Everybody knew that Joe Gordon could not only hit the ball, but he could put it out of the park. So he stepped up to the plate and he swung at the first three pitches and he missed each one of them by at least a foot. The fans couldn't believe it. A huge silence fell over the crowd. Joe Gordon stared at the ground as he walked back to the dugout. He went to the end of the bench and he sat down next to Larry Doby and he put his head in his hands. That's the, that's the stuff of which baseball legends are made. Well, they made a movie about that. Even today, people wonder, I'm told, did Joe Gordon strike out on purpose? Did he do that just to show the fans what they were like, to hold a mirror up to them? Nobody knows for sure except Joe Gordon. But I can tell you this. It was reported from that day on that Larry Doby never went out on the baseball field, but that he didn't reach down and pick up the, team, the, the glove of his teammate, Joe Gordon, and hand it to him. Well, even if that act on the part of Joe Gordon meant what we think it did, even, even if Joe Gordon kind of 
held a mirror up to the people in the stands and showed them what their behavior was like. Even, even if he struck out on purpose in order to identify with his teammate and his friend Larry Doby. Even if all of that is true, what Joe Gordon did that day did not cure the problem of prejudice in that stadium or in the American Baseball League or in this country. It did not cure the problem of prejudice, but it did represent everything that that one person could do at that moment and at that place and under those circumstances. There are persistent superstitions that we would do well to recognize. If we're good enough and wise enough, we'll not have any serious problems in our life. Persistent superstitions. Love will conquer any problem that might arise. Things that we want so desperately to be real, but they aren't real. There are persistent superstitions that we would do well to recognize so that we can focus our energies on the things that we can do, on the things that we can accomplish. I think that was Jesus' purpose in in telling this story to his followers, in giving this parable to them, so that, that they could stop focusing their energies on the things that they couldn't accomplish, the things that couldn't be done, and they could focus themselves on the tasks that they could accomplish, rather than wasting ourselves on hopes and dreams that aren't real, we would do well to recognize those persistent superstitions so that we can focus our energies, devote our time and, and our passion to those things that we can accomplish. If you have done all that you can do with some problem that is beyond your power to fix, then it is enough. God will finish the job at harvest time. Amen.